Father, I praise your name. We glorify you. You are the one who has given us freedom. You are the one who has secured this moment in time for us. Lord, you are the one who has opened the door for us to assemble in this place and for me to stand on this stage and to say what you've laid on my heart to say from your word about Jesus. And Lord, we just thank you. I thank you for the men and women who are in this room, those who are around the world who have served. Father, they've been willing to sacrifice. All of them have sacrificed time and energy and seasons of their life. Many sacrificed their very lives. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for how you've used that service and that sacrifice in the life of this nation and this community and and in this place. Lord, I thank you for those not only who are gathered in this room, but I thank you for those who are scattered throughout the world. Particularly, Lord, we pray for those men and women, those moms and dads, sons and daughters who are deployed even now around the world serving in this nation's military. God, I pray that your grace and peace would be near to them. Lord, I pray, Father, that not only would we rejoice in freedom, but I pray that we would use it, that we would use it well for the glory of Jesus. So God, as I teach, my my prayer is that their service wouldn't be in vain, and neither would my use of the freedom, that we would rejoice in Jesus Christ today. So be glorified among us, God. (laughs) Lord, I pray that we would gladly do something that is illegal in much of the world, that we would boldly and without shame lift up Jesus above every other name. And Lord, I pray that as you teach us your word, that our hearts would respond with faith and obedience as you do. Lord, we know we're not the only church in town. I pray for the other churches. We had fun and and joke with uh, Georgiana and Pastor Corky, but I do thank you for them. I love them. I love Corky and I'm glad he's my friend. And I know there are other churches in this community who we partner with. I pray especially for Pastor Al Evans, South Patrick Baptist Church, that those gathered in that place would know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus, Lord. We love you. We use this moment, I pray, by the power of your spirit, for the glory of your name and the good of your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. As you guys turn to Luke 7, let me just ask you, have you ever seen someone do something that made you ask, why would someone do that? Let me give you a couple of illustrations. When I see people jump out of perfectly good airplanes, I ask, why would someone do that? When I see someone order a Diet Coke with a Big Mac meal, I ask, why would someone do that. When, when I see people continuing to attend Florida State football games, I, I think you guys get the point, right? I, 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 I know I risked offending four people in the room today, but it's what I do. I think we've all had those moments. If you don't know what I'm talking about and you'd like, uh, uh, why would they do that moment? Just go to Disney World um, any given day and people watch for about five minutes. There's always a why would they do that moment coming along at Disney World. Why would you have a stroller when you don't have kids, sir? Why would you wear a Mickey Mouse sweater in Central Florida in June, ma'am? Why would you pay $150 a person to bring your 
three-year-old to something that they apparently don't enjoy or understand and spend the whole time crying over. Why would someone do that, right? You get the, 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 the hint. Here's the reason why I bring that up. This morning in our text, we're going to look at a story, a true story, about Jesus at a party in his honor, about a woman who came to that party, about a group of religious people, kind of like us, gathered in that room. And there are things that go on in this passage that beg the question, why would someone do that? As a matter of fact, I encourage you as we read this passage, see if you can spot those moments that really are indicating individuals who are asking, why would he do that? Why would she do that? Why would anyone on earth do that? And as we go through the passage, that's what I want to do. I, was, I just want to answer those questions. Why, why would they do that? So look at Luke 7, and we're going to begin reading in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who who is this? Who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for us today. And this is a passage that is so rich in meaning and beauty. I am resting on the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us today. There's more going on here than I could possibly point out to you in, in a, a, a Sunday morning service like this. So what I want to do is I want to go through this story and, and share with you some details that for us in the 21st century in the United States might be easy to overlook or not necessarily feel the impact of them. So, so let me just walk through this story as we just read. There was a Pharisee named Simon. He invited Jesus to his house for dinner. And many of you guys remember maybe from last week when we talked about the Pharisees that they were a group of super religious people who were basically the most moral upstanding pillars of the community in first century Palestine. They were probably the best 
people from an external point of view that any of us would have ever met. They were the best of the best. We talked about that last week. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, many of us who've known the story of Jesus know that the Pharisees sort of existed always in the backdrop of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, Ultimately, we know the Pharisees joined together with the Roman uh, government to have Jesus murdered. But at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, you find several Pharisees coming to Jesus, and it doesn't seem like they're really angry or offended at him just yet, but they do seem deeply confused by him. They're, They're trying to figure Jesus out. And this setting, this dinner, seems to be one of those moments where a Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus over to his house because he's, he's puzzled by him. Simon's obviously not a believer, but it looks like in verse 40 when he calls him teacher that Simon is recognizing that he at least believes that Jesus is a notable rabbi or a teacher of the law. And so he, he has this, this notable teacher come over to his house. This notable teacher is in the home of a, of a notable member of the community. And there were several customs that would take place in first century Jerusalem or Israel when, when a notable teacher was in the home of a notable member of the community. The first thing would, that would happen is that the, the host, the homeowner, would put his hand on the shoulder of the honored guest and then he would bring him in and kiss him on the cheek. That kiss was called the kiss of peace and it was a signal to everybody in the room that this teacher, this prominent person was respected. He was wanted in the home and we were going to honor him while he was there. The second thing that would happen is that a servant would come and wash the feet of that notable guest. Many of you guys know that uh, there were no cars on the streets of Israel during the first century, so people had to walk everywhere. They wore sandals, and the only kind of vehicles that you had uh, were animals that were hauling things or people. And and just to put it mildly, uh, you didn't want to step in the exhaust of those vehicles. And so the streets were littered with all kinds of stuff that got on the feet of these people. So it was a natural thing that when a guest would come into your home, especially an honored guest, someone would kneel with a basin of water and a towel and they would wash that guest's feet so they could feel comfortable around the table. And then the next thing that would happen after those feet were washed is that a little bit of ointments, maybe even just olive oil, would be placed on the forehead of that teacher. And that little olive oil on the forehead of the teacher would signify this is the guest of honor. This is the person that we are honoring with this party. But Jesus shows us in the second half of the text that when he entered Simon the Pharisee's home, none of that happened. Whatever Simon may have thought about Jesus, we can at least conclude that he didn't see Jesus as someone who was worthy of the common customs of the day, let alone extravagant honor. There's Jesus. He's in the house. He's leaning. It says he's reclining at the table. In the first century, the tables were low and the chairs weren't high. They basically laid over on their their left elbow and everybody kind of laid and reclined around the table and meals lasted a long time. They were filled with lots and lots of conversation. And when you had a party like this in a town like that, it wasn't that you needed an invitation 
to come to the party. They put the most special guests around the table, but anyone from the community could come and go as they pleased. You didn't have to be invited. You just had to live there. And what would happen is if a notable teacher was around that table, the most prominent people would be gathered there with the teacher, but people from the town would kind of come in to the room and they would sort of sit in the background listening to the conversation, seeing if there's something to learn or something to see. It was basically like the ancient version of reality television. People were like, what are the notable people saying? What are they doing? And how might we learn or observe some of that? And it seems like that's what's happening in Simon's house. As was the custom, those who were directly around the table would be most engaged with the guest of honor. And so Simon's there engaging with Jesus, with all these people from the town gathered around and watching it all play out, and that's when it happened. A woman from the city um, heard that Jesus was there, and she knew Jesus. She knew who he was. We don't know all the details, but somehow she had encountered Jesus enough to form a deep opinion about him, a conclusion Verse 37 says it wasn't just some woman. It says that she was a sinner. And that word sinner, most scholars recognize, is a a polite or modest way of telling the reader that this was a prostitute from the city. She was a, a sinner. You know what I mean. That's what Luke is saying when he uses that word. This prostitute from the city would have been considered the worst of the worst. Everyone knew who she was. She knew who she was. She wasn't hiding it or able to hide it from everyone. And there she is, and she comes into the party, busting up into the middle of it. She doesn't slip in the door and just stand quietly in the shadows. She doesn't listen from the back of the room. She walks straight over to Jesus, and she obviously wants to do what Simon should have done, but didn't. She wants to honor Jesus. And verse 37 says she, she brought this alabaster flask of ointment with her. Uh, she was prepared to honor Jesus. What, from what I've read, this alabaster flask would not have contained the customary oil, the, the inexpensive common oil. This alabaster flask most likely would have included the most expensive perfume that a woman like this would own. As a matter of fact, many of you might remember that another story similar to this occurs in John chapter 12, and that woman breaks an alabaster flask at the feet of Jesus as well, and someone comments that that perfume in that alabaster flask was worth one year's wage. It is worth $45,000, $50,000 in today's currency. I don't know how much your cologne, but my old spice has not put me back fifty grand anytime soon. This is the kind of perfume that a woman would only have a limited amount of, and she would have normally saved for the day of her wedding. And just think about that. She had probably blown her chance at getting married a long time ago when she fell into immorality. That perfume that she had been given for the day of her wedding, that perfume would have been a reminder of something she never would have because of her sin and her shame. And there she stands holding that flask of perfume and she doesn't just quietly kneel down and put a little drop on Jesus' feet, does she? She begins to weep. It's not that quiet, controlled, modest cry. It's the ugly cry. Her face is 
is contorted. She, she is weeping so much that her tears are falling down and actually soaking Jesus' feet enough to wash them. She comes in this room, all the best people in the town, the people who should have known better, the people who should have honored Jesus are gathered around, and she looks down, she sees his feet. She came to honor him, and she looks down and sees his feet, and she realizes no one in the room, not even the servants, has had the decency to even wash his feet. And so she comes prepared to anoint him, but she's not prepared for what she sees in a room full of religious people. Not a single one has honored Jesus enough to wash his feet. Do they even know who they're dealing with? Do they have any idea how great he is? And in that moment, whether she was prepared or not, heartbroken joy flows out in worship and she cries and through her tears she sees that her tears are actually wetting Jesus' feet. She came ready to anoint him but not ready to wash his feet. She doesn't have the bowl. She doesn't have the towel and so she has to think fast. What can I do? What can I do? And, and the, the, Luke offers up this. She, she kneels down and she, she takes her hair down and she wipes the dust and the filth off his feet with her hair. It's in verse 38. You may not know this but Jewish women did not cut their hair and they did not let it down. As a matter of fact, the hair of a Jewish woman was considered to be the pinnacle of glory of her beauty. That hair was such a beautiful and attractive thing that it was considered immodest to let it down in public. It was so immodest that there were some rabbis who actually said that men could divorce their wives if they let their hair down in front of other men. But She realizes how scandalous this is, but she doesn't care about her reputation and she doesn't care about her dignity. She lost her reputation and dignity a long time ago. She's only focused on Jesus. And right now she says, I've got to wash his feet. So she uses her hair and those feet that are now clean remind her that the person she's cleansing has cleansed her. The person who's whose feet she's washing is able to wash her. The person that she is expressing this honor for has honored her with his mercy and his grace and his life. And in that moment, there's no one more wonderful to her than Jesus. So she doesn't just wash his feet, she kisses them. Now, I want you to think about that. It's not just someone kissing the feet of someone that haven't been properly washed. Think about what that would be like, how, how disgusting in this room that would have been to people. What, washing his feet with your hair? It's not going to get it really clean, and now you're kissing them? But it's not just that. Think about the fact that it's not just where those feet have been. What about where those lips had been? This is the kiss of a prostitute in public, in front of all the most religious people in town, over and over and over, Jesus is getting his feet kissed by a prostitute. And guys, that's the moment when the questions came through everyone's mind. Why would someone do that? 
They're thinking it about this woman. Why would that woman use that perfume on that teacher? Why would she cry those tears? Why would she bear even more shame of letting her hair down? Why would she kiss those feet that haven't been properly washed? Why would someone do that? And why would Jesus let her? In essence, that's what Simon is asking. He's asking why would a so-called prophet, a man of God, an eminent teacher, let an immodest prostitute create such a scene and kiss him in public? Why would someone do that? And as all those thoughts go through their mind, Jesus knows what they're thinking. Hey guys, you just need to know this. Good luck hiding your thoughts from the one who made your brain, right? And Jesus knowing all that's going on, Decides, I'm going to give you a bit of a lesson here, Simon. And the lesson's a parable. Verse 41. Hey, Simon, you need to hear this. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's basically 20 months salary. And the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. That's a pretty quick lesson, right? Five, 500 days wages, 50 days wages, both of them are canceled. Not, neither person can pay We get the scene here. These are people who owe a debt. One's a smaller debt. One's a huge debt, but neither person can pay. And so the mortgage lender just cancels the debt. Now, money lenders in the first century were like money lenders of the 21st century. They never just canceled debt. If you want to know, just call your mortgage broker up this week and ask him to call it even. Hey, I think I've done enough here. Let's just walk away. I'll keep the house. It's not going to happen, right? That's not what money lenders do, but that's what happens. In the story Jesus tells, it was as crazy as the scene everybody was witnessing. Money lenders just canceling debt? This never happens. What Jesus is doing is he's using the scandal of that story to shed light on the scandal of the scene he's in. He asks, who will love that money lender more? And the answer is obvious. The guy who had the larger debt. And then Jesus turns the tables. And he gets to the point of the parable and the point of how it relates to the woman. Look at verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. It's a common custom, Simon. You didn't even do it, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of peace. You didn't acknowledge me as someone welcome in your home, someone honored as your guest. But from the time I came in, she hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, signifying that I was a guest of honor. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The point of the parable, the point of the story, the answer to why would this happen is this. Those who are forgiven much, love much. This immoral woman who'd seen every good thing in her life ruined by her own sin and the sin of others, she's not drowning in hopelessness and shame. She's filled with love. Why? Because she's been forgiven. And not just a little. 
more than we could imagine. Her sins, which were many, have been wiped more clean than Jesus' feet. Jesus didn't send her away. He received her. He didn't reject her. He didn't hold her sin over her head. He washed her sin away like she had washed his feet. And that's a window into the first. Why would someone do that? The one Simon was pointing to. Why would Jesus let this woman do that? Why doesn't, why doesn't he send her away like everybody else in the room? That's why Simon's asking, why would Jesus let this happen? You guys want to know the answer? You want to know the answer? Here's the answer. Because Jesus loves sinners. Jesus wants sinners to be near him. Jesus isn't afraid of getting contaminated by their sin. It's one of the reasons Luke is even telling this story in the first place. Look back at verse 34. Luke says this, and it's a quote. Jesus is talking here. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you, the religious crowd, you say, and they're saying this as an accusation, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is saying, hey, these religious people accuse me of something, and they accuse me of something that's going to ruin my reputation, they think. They think it'll ruin my reputation because all of the religious people refuse to associate with individuals whose sin is publicly known because they don't want it to ruin their reputation. So, so you're going to try and ruin my reputation, Jesus says, by accusing me of being a friend to sinners, of liking them, of wanting to be around them. And, and, and here's what you need to know, Jesus says, rather than deny that accusation that would ruin my reputation, I want to build my reputation on that. I don't deny it. I embrace it to the point that Jesus lets this scene unfold in Simon's house precisely to show he doesn't just hang around with sinners. He loves them. He doesn't just put up with them. He forgives them. He came to earth to be with them, to find them in their brokenness and their sin and offer them a new life. Why would Jesus let a woman touch him, a sinful woman, kiss him? Because he came to this earth for sinners like her. And guys, you need to know this. Jesus came to earth for sinners like you too. I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know the mistakes you've made. I don't know the ways you've blown it. I don't know the things you've thought, the things you've wanted, the things you've said. I don't know what you've done to your marriage and your family. I don't know what you've done to yourself. I don't know what you've done against God. But you need to know this story has good news for us all. Jesus wants sinners like us. Jesus loves and he forgives And he receives every single person who will trust in him to forgive them. Guys, Jesus came so that he could die on the cross in our place as a sacrifice for our our sin and our shame, bearing on his cross what we should bear in eternal separation from God. Jesus came as a sacrifice for sin precisely so he could forgive sinners like this woman, sinners like us, because that kind of grace, that kind of mercy, that kind of love glorifies him. And that's why, Simon can't get it, but that's why, He would do that because he loved her. 
He wanted her. He would die to save her and forgive her. Why would he do it? That's why. And the second why is why would this woman be motivated to come in that room? Why would she pour out expensive perfume? Why would she risk further shame? Why would she show herself in front of all these religious self-righteous people? Why would she weep at the feet of Jesus? Why would someone do that? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 47. He says, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much. Why would she do it? The answer is love. She just plain loved Jesus. Jesus wasn't just another person to her. He wasn't just a a guy that she found interesting. She didn't just respect him. She didn't just like his Facebook post. She loved Jesus with extravagant, generous, shameless love. But then the question becomes, why would she love him like that? And the reason Jesus gives is, again, there in verse 47, she loves much because she's forgiven much. Her sins, he says, which are many, are forgiven for she loved. When he says for, it's not that her sins are forgiven because she's earned them through her love. It's that her sins are forgiven as is displayed in the amount of her love. Her love displays that she knows she's been forgiven She knows what she's done and she knows how she should be shamed, but she knows that Jesus has offered forgiveness. But then the question becomes, so why would she know? How would she know that she's forgiven? Look at verse 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Your faith, you believe and depend and trust that I am who I say I am and I'll do what I say I will do. Your faith has saved you. Her, her love didn't save her. Her love displayed the knowledge of her forgiveness and she was forgiven because she believed that Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. He is a friend of sinners. She believed he had the power to forgive and that when he said she was forgiven, she actually was forgiven. How could she do that faith? She believed Jesus. Faith enabled forgiveness. And forgiveness motivated love. And love was expressed in pouring out her gift. And guys, here's what we need to know. When Jesus gives us insight into this woman's heart, he's giving us insight into Simon's heart. Simon didn't give extravagantly in honor of Jesus because he didn't love Jesus. And he didn't love Jesus because he didn't see himself as needing the forgiveness of Jesus. He was religious and good and upright and he didn't think he needed forgiveness from Jesus because he didn't see Jesus for who he really is. Simon didn't have faith, so he did not have forgiveness. So he did not have love. So he did not pour out extravagant worship. And I've got to tell you, this isn't just a story shedding light on a prostitute who lived 2,000 years ago and a self-righteous Pharisee who was in the same room as her. This is a story about you and me. Because the reality is this. We are either Simon or we are that woman. Jesus isn't saying there are two categories of people. Those who need to be forgiven a whole lot and those really good Southern Baptists that I only have to forgive a little. 
He's saying there are only two kinds of people in the world. People who need to be forgiven a lot and see it. And people who need to be forgiven a lot and don't. And here's why that has hit me really hard this week. Because this is a season where we're talking a lot about giving extravagantly as a church. Next week, we're asking you to bring back shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child so that we could send those around the world and give to children who probably won't get any other gift in the entire year. So we're asking you, would you, would you give a shoebox to those kids? And then we're also asking you, on the very same week, the audacity that we have to ask you to bring not just a shoebox, but a frozen turkey. I'm asking you to bring five frozen turkeys, but a piece. Got to be corky this year. We want to see 2,000 needy families have full Thanksgiving dinners. And so we're going to ask you, would you bring turkeys and shoe boxes? And then some of you got a letter from me this week. Some of you will get it in the mail this week and sharing with you that we're one year almost into the heart of the first initiative campaign. It's about the mission of Christ in this community and being prepared to care for the people of this community, even on this campus. We're trying to raise somewhere around $4 million over the next three years. I'll share with you in that letter, I think that we've, we've given almost $1.4 million in less than a year. That's, that's great. Our goal is, is to give that much over three years at a clip. That's extravagant giving that we're asking you to maintain. And not just step back on. I'm also going to share with you that while we have exceeded even in some ways our pledges toward that, we also have a shortfall on our general budget that we are prayerfully asking God to help catch up with end of year giving. And so we're going to ask you to give, to give significantly, not just to first initiative, but to the regular giving of the ministries of our church. And with all of that talk about giving and generosity and more than we normally talk about giving as a church, there, there is something that just, that just jumped out to me. First is we will not give extravagantly in honor of Jesus by focusing on giving. We won't give extravagantly in honor of Jesus by focusing on ourselves or our building projects or even our mission and ministries as a church, we won't give extravagantly in honor of Jesus for any other reason but love. Now, we can give a lot of money. There are lots of churches doing that. We can feed a lot of people. There are plenty of organizations doing that. We can send toys all around the world. There are lots of people involved in that, and we can do it for all the wrong reasons, but Jesus won't be honored unless we kneel in love for Jesus. And not just the kind of thing that looks like love. You realize Simon threw a party for Jesus and he invited the entire town to come. When was the last time you threw a party at your house in honor of Jesus and invited the entire town to come? Simon didn't love Jesus. So the question isn't just will we give extravagantly. The question is will we really be stirred to love Jesus or are we the kind of people who can attend a party in honor of Jesus like this morning and be more concerned about what's at lunch, about what's going on with the game this afternoon, 
what my plans are for the rest of the week rather than being blown away by how wonderful Jesus is. And the deal is this. If you don't find yourself being blown away with love for Jesus, it may be because you've forgotten how much you've been forgiven. Guys, your sin has been great, just like mine. The list is long, just like mine. We should be condemned. But if we are in Christ, we're not. And if we lack love for Jesus, authentic, genuine love for Jesus, guys, it may just be that we have forgotten where we came from. We may just be people who resemble a guy named Simon. We can point to all the good stuff we've done. We can think we're paying Jesus back, but we've forgotten. He doesn't want repayment because we never could. He canceled a debt. He forgave our sin. And if you're lacking love, you may have forgotten how much Jesus has forgiven. And if if you've forgotten what Jesus has forgiven, my concern is that some of us may have not been forgiven because we've never placed our faith and trust in Jesus. The foundation that Jesus lays in verse 50 is you are saved because of your faith. Not because you gave a lot. Not because you made a scene. Not because you were really sinful and cleaned the outside of your life up. You are forgiven not even because you love. You're forgiven because you trust in Jesus. And so this morning, my prayer is that you would place your faith and trust in Jesus alone that you'd realize that Christ forgives every stain of righteousness and your heart would be stirred to love. And as your heart would be stirred to love, you would begin to live with extravagant worship. So the real, the real question I guess I'm asking is this, are you guys living the kind of life that the people who are around you are asking this question, why on earth would he do that? And is your only answer because Jesus is so worth it. Would you bow your heads and pray? Reflecting over these truths, I just want to ask you, are you pouring out extravagant gifts of worship to Jesus? Not just the customary things, like for many of us it's customary to come to a room like this on a Sunday. Saying, are we pouring your lives out? If not, have you have you really begun to look at Jesus with a heart that loves him? Like deeply and truly loving Jesus. And if not, then have you considered just how great your debt of sin has been and just how amazing Christ's forgiveness is. And if not, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Are you trusting in Him and Him alone to make you right and keep you right with God to save you and forgive you? If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you right now, would you call on Him to save you? Acknowledge your sin and your shortcoming. 
Acknowledge the ways that you haven't honored God. The ways you've sinned against Him and one another and call on Jesus to save you. Ask Him to remind you, those of you who've been in the faith for some time, to remind you of how much you've been forgiven. To remember where you've come from. To remember where you would be. To remember that you don't need to pay God back because you can't. Jesus paid it all for you. Would you pray that God would stir your heart with love? That you would not be able to sit in a room like this and hear about Jesus like this and not be stirred with love? To be unaffected and unchanged? Would you pray that your life would be poured out in extravagant worship and honor to Jesus? That you would live the kind of life at work tomorrow and in your home and neighborhood. You would live the kind of life that people around you would ask, why would anyone do that? And you could tell them, Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd stir us today to not be unmoved, to be extravagant worshipers who sit at the feet of Jesus. Help us to not be casual observers who attend these these gatherings in honor of Jesus, but don't honor him in our hearts. Lord, I pray you would keep us from that. Would you stir up deep and passionate love in our hearts? Would you remind us of how fully and completely we've been forgiven? And I pray that if there's anyone here today that's never called on Jesus to save them, that they would acknowledge their sin and they would acknowledge the Savior calling on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today. Lord, we love you. and We praise you for your mercy and grace to us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.